Welcome and thank you for downloading Movement Christian Church's sermon podcast. Here at Movement, we are passionate about God's Word and helping each other move closer to God. Thank you for choosing to grow with us today. And now, here's our lead minister, Bobby Wallace. A few years ago, I saw a commercial watching TV, and uh, you ever notice those uh, pharmaceutical commercials? They're always the craziest, dumbest commercials, you know, everybody's like, you know, running around and whatever, but, you know, and I, most of the time I just tune them out, but this one caught my eye, and at that particular time, you know, I had a DVR, you know, back in the old days when we had regular TV and we DVR'd everything, and um, I was, and so thankfully I went back and I recorded this thing, or I, I rewound it so I could listen to what it says, but you know, they go through the thing and it tells you what it's for, how it's going to help your life and all this sort of stuff, and then at the very end, they just like rifle through all of the what? Side effects, that's right. And have you ever paid attention to some of the side effects for some of these pharmaceuticals? It is hilarious if it wasn't sad. You know, if it wasn't sad, it would be hilarious. But this one was a particular uh, medication that was for social anxiety, which I know is something a lot of people feel when they go out in public. And man, the past two years, I'm sure it made it even worse, you know. But social anxiety. But listen to the side effects for, get it in your mind. What is it we're talking about here? What's the medication for? Social anxiety. All right. Sleepiness. Okay. Not too bad. But another side effect is nervousness. All right. Insomnia. So you're tired, but you can't go to sleep and you're nervous. All right. Then dizziness. So if you're worried about being out in public, you also have to worry about falling down on your face in front of everybody because you might be dizzy. And then on top of it, you might projectile vomit on them because nausea is the next one. All right. Then just in case you were starting to get used to, you know, the vomiting, you know, the not being able to sleep, but being tired all the time and all that sort of stuff. Guess what the next one is? This one's really good. Skin rash. If you're nervous about meeting new people, now you've got a rash. Okay, that, that's even better. That's always a great opening line for people. All right. And then to top it off, just to make sure you're feeling really great, headache is another one. And then the, not quite the piece de resistance, but it's up there, diarrhea. So if you're nervous about being in crowds, you also have to be on the lookout for a restroom. All right. I'm not making this up. This was literally the list of side effects for this drug. Uh, for social anxiety upset stomach I mean as if as it needed to be said nausea and diarrhea and now they have upset stomach I think that goes and then loss of appetite and then what you already had to begin with dry mouth because you're nervous about being in social situations you've got social anxiety but then here's where it all gets better the last side effect is this weight loss at least you'll be skinny and man, I'm telling you, it is the most unbelievable list of side effects I've ever heard. And I'm like, how are you going to have any help from social anxiety with that list of side effects? And I just, it blew my mind. I, I've just, I've kept track of it all these years. At least you'll be skinny though. That's, that's the one good thing, right? Sometimes in life, it seems like the bad is worse than the good. Am I right? You know, like that medication, you know, it's trying to help you with your social anxiety, but then you've got all these side effects, and it seems like life is like that a lot. 
you have to read the fine print. Things are not always as good as their publicity, are they? They're not. They're not as good as their publicity. Sometimes we just have to read the fine print. And I think that a lot of people look at God that way. I think a lot of people look at God and they say, I'm not sure that he's as good as he's hyped up to be. I wonder if his publicity is more than what he really is behind the scenes. And they point sometimes to verses like we've been reading, like we heard just a few moments ago in our bumper video. They point to verses like that that have some good stuff up front and it sounds really good. It's like, oh yeah, he loves us and he's got mercy and all this sort of stuff. But then, as we've alluded to all these past few weeks, it starts talking about punishing children and all this sort of stuff. Let's look at the passage again. Exodus 34, beginning in verse 6. It says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, that's Yahweh, his name, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And it'd be nice to kind of stop right there sometimes if we were God's PR people. And sometimes we want to be that. But who will by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. The honest truth is, church, we have to deal with passages like this. There are others in the Bible that a lot of people would tell you, that's why I'm not a Christian. Because, you know, all the, the killing that happened in the Old Testament and all the blood and, you know, all this sort of stuff. And people just have all kinds of reasons. But we've got to deal with passages like this because if we're going to be honest and we're going to be faithful, we have to consider the entire Scriptures. All of the Bible. We need to do our best to learn and dig through God's Word to make sure that we understand what it says so we can get a, a better understanding of what God's trying to say to us and why He came to this earth and what He means for us. We cannot skim the Bible and pick out the parts that fit our preconceived notions, beliefs, or choices. Read that again if you didn't read it. We cannot skim the Bible and pick out the parts that fit our preconceived notions, beliefs, or choices. But I would say that many of us have struggled with that. And there are hundreds and thousands, if not millions of people that want to pick and choose and sort of cherry pick what they are going to believe about God. And if we've learned it, that's right, it's a shocker, isn't it? But if we want to know who God is, then we have to listen to what His Word has to say in and out throughout so when we find passages or verses that we don't like, we've got to study and we've got to dig and we've got to look at the full context of Scripture. And ultimately, now listen to this, when we're making our decisions, when we're making our decisions, let's side with the Bible over our beliefs. A lot of people say amen until it comes to their belief their pet belief. Years ago, um, my wife Sherry, she's our movement kids director. She was, hopefully she'll be back in a second. She was getting to be in church for the first time in seven weeks. I appreciate that lady so much. 
She misses being with you guys. They, thank you. That's good. Hopefully, she'll, they had a little problem evidently in the back. Hopefully, she'll be able to come back out. But one time years ago, she was doing a Bible study at a young lady with camp, a 17-year-old girl, and her mom didn't agree with what the Scripture said. And she came out and was a part of it in this Bible study. And, and Sherry was like reading verses. And this lady was saying, well, I believe this. And Sherry's like, well, let's look at what this Bible verse says. She said, well, I believe this. I believe this. And Sherry said, well, let's look at this Bible verse. Would you turn here in, the, in your Bible with me? She finally reached across the table. She reached across the table, closed the Bible, and she said, I don't care what that says. I believe this. Shocking. But I'd love to tell you that that was the only time I've seen that attitude and that heart. And that's the only time I've seen that happen in the 20 years that have passed since. But I'd be lying if I did. Not many people would be so bold to close the Bible. But they do like this. La, 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 la. They close their ears. And what we have to do if we are going to be faithful to God's word is not care about what our beliefs are or what our mamas or our daddies or our great grandpappy's beliefs are and make sure that we are following what God's word says. I, I remember a bumper sticker that used to be uh, pretty popular. Maybe it still floats around every now and then. But um, it says something to the effect of God says it, I believe it, that settles it. And that's wrong. I mean, it's not wrong, but it's not the best i've seen another version that says this god says it that settles it take out the i believe part you need to believe it but your belief in it doesn't change the truth one iota and, and this is a this is a heavy message because yeah it's easy to amen this message because we want to make sure we like yeah 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 that's right i believe it but what are you going to do what am i what is bobby going to do when I am forced to look at God's Word and I don't have the same understanding of what God's Word says, am I going to change or am I going to try to change God's Word? Let's be people who side with the Bible over our beliefs. See, the problem with picking and choosing what we want to believe and what we want to take and what we want to, to share is because what we do is we take bits of scripture mixed with our own ideas, mixed with some pop culture, and then the scariest part is our constantly shifting cultural values. I mean, we redefine words all the time. I mean, we, you know, it, it's crazy the stuff that we do. And then we create this homemade little G God who's ultimately a God of our own making. And here's the real problem. Unfortunately, those little G homemade gods aren't too good at the saving business. They're not too good at the saving business. They'll make you feel really good about yourself. You know, when you see the person at the exit off the end of 540 and you throw 10 cents in their cup. And you've got your little G homemade God, then you'll feel good. Well, man, look at me. I'm better than all those other punks that didn't give nothing. But what we have to do is we have to have and follow and worship the one true creator, Yahweh God. And man, don't think that I am I, I'm upset with you. But man, this is so important. We've got to get this. So let's look at the last section of this theme verse that we've been going through. Last week we pointed out the repetition that it starts off with in verse 7, back in verse 6. And it says in verse 7, Keeping steadfast love for thousands. There's a, a big 
phrase word here in this steadfast love that we also talked about a lot last week. Hesed. Hesed. And we talked about how it's not simply in English just one word or just a couple of words. It's really just this overwhelming, overarching idea of overwhelming covenant love and faithfulness. So it says that God keeps this love, this overwhelming covenant love and faithfulness for you and I to, for thousands. And this word keeping here in verse 7, at least as it is in the uh, English Standard Version, can be translated to protect or to guard. So, so Yahweh is protecting or guarding His overwhelming covenant love and faithfulness for thousands of people. He is going to make sure that nobody comes and takes it away. And so what does that mean? You get the full force. The full force of God's overwhelming covenant love and faithfulness. You are loved by a faithful God who will not turn His back on us. The scary thing is, is that he gives us the free will to choose if we're going to turn our back on him or not. But if you understand that kind of love, that's why we want to understand that kind of love and that kind of faithfulness. Because why would we ever choose this world over him? So let's not do that. Let's choose him. So he goes on. And it's this overwhelming love. He's protecting it. He's watching over you. The love won't run out on Yahweh's end. He's not going to stop loving you. I say that because I need a drink of water. I say that because there are people in here that have been like I am or have like I've been that say, yeah, he loves all these good people here. He loved my grandma. She was the best of the best. But he probably can't love me like that. Because I know the lies I've told. I know the times I've cheated. I know the times that I've been unfaithful. I know the times that I've stabbed people in the back. There's no way that God could really love me that way. And there's a lot of people that feel that way. And so that's why when we were singing that song earlier where it says, I am not alone, I needed to hear that. You are not alone. You are not rejected. You are not left alone by the God who loves you. Even if you don't believe in Him, He still doesn't turn His back on you. He loves you. He is overwhelmingly faithful. You might need to hear that. I need to hear that. And it goes on in verse 7. A little bit later here it says, Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Still good stuff. We're excited about this. It's not hard to argue with that. It's, it's good stuff we like, right? Don't need to do PR on this. But the word translated forgiving here can be translated lift up to carry or take away. Man, that screams Jesus, doesn't it? Doesn't that scream Jesus when it says he's forgiving? He can lift up or carry or take away your sin. Isn't that what Jesus did? He took your sin and my sin and, and put it on his shoulders and took it and carried it away to the cross. He carried it away to the cross and removed it from us as far as the east is from the west. If you are in Christ and covered by His blood, you are free because He carried it away. And it says in, uh, that John the, the baptizer, John the immerser said in John chapter 1 verse 29, the gospel there, it says the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
Jesus took away your sin and he took away mine. And the Bible gets specific here. It lists in, in, uh, in, in verse 7, it lists three types of sin. It says iniquity first. And that's the Greek word avon. All types of bad behavior, great and small, is that word there. It just is all-encompassing, all anything good or bad. You know, if you want to compare yourself to somebody else, it's like, well, I just tell a little white lie every now and then. Um, there was a team at our basketball tournament this past week that had on just plain white t-shirts and they had stuff they'd written in black sharpie and we found out evidently it's a trend that probably is on tiktok or something i don't know but it's um it's called little white lies white tees you know that's on there and so like the coach for this team had one that said i love refs so anything they got written on is not true is what they're saying you know it's like so he doesn't love refs i, I just thought i could really relate to that because the here here's the crazy part if nobody gets anything else is they god even loves referees <laughs> if you're a referee i'm sorry he still loves you he does but anyway here's the thing here's the thing we have to understand this sin this word that's used iniquity it's uh, avon avon all types of bad behavior great and small the next word transgression pesha it, it literally means to break the law it's a legal term and so he says all sins are covered. It doesn't matter. You compare yourself to the really good people or the really bad people. It doesn't matter. You're all covered there. The, the law term is used there. It's legal, outright disobedience. You know, in some translations it says rebellion. You know, and, and there are times that we sin that it's outright rebellion, right? How, how many of you, you know, when you were a kid or if you're raising your own kids or raised your kids, you know, you've got your like four or five-year-old that you tell them don't do that and what do they do? And they step right on what you, you told them not to step on, you know, probably the cat or something, you know, like that. It's that outright rebellion. He says he came to carry and lift that away as well. And then that third word, it's, it's translated sin. It's hata. It literally is an archery term for missing the mark. You've got the, the bow drawn back, your arrow's ready, and you're aiming at the bullseye, and you let it go, and it misses the mark. It doesn't hit the bullseye. And so sometimes we just really make mistakes. We do dumb things. And so what we do is know that Yahweh is forgiving even all of these things. He's got it covered. There's nothing that you can do that God can't and won't forgive you for. Did you hear that? There's nothing that He won't forgive you for. And you and I need to know that. So listen, Yahweh is forgiving everything. Think about it like this. Furniture store sales. You ever seen the signs they put up? There's one out here right now on the corner of Hodge Road and uh, Old Facing and the, the exit here. And they've been all over. There's a store in Rollsville. There's one up here in Raleigh that's closing, going out of business. And they will tell you, oh man, we are going out of business. We're going out of business. Everything must go. And you know, the final day is tomorrow. And then you go back the next day and they're open. It's like, well, yeah, the final day of business for yesterday was yesterday. <laughs> Yeah, because it's not really true. But I'm telling you, when God says, when Yahweh says that everything must go and everything can go, it's true. And I tell you that, I tell myself that, because we don't always believe that He can forgive everything and is willing to forgive everything. He is. He, he says, any type of sin I'm willing to give over, I'm willing to carry it away. I want you to notice, too, the word there, forgiving doesn't say he forgave, did it? 
He's forgiving. He's continually forgiving you and I for our sins because of ultimately the sacrifice of Jesus. And in a quote of Exodus 34, remember we've told you way back when that this is one of the most quoted passages in the Bible, uh, from the Bible, Exodus 34, our main text. In Micah chapter 7, beginning in verse 18, a, a, a minor prophet says, Who is a God like you? pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever, but he delights in steadfast love. Do you hear Exodus 34 woven in there? Verse 19, He will again have compassion on us. He will tread on our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. You see, Yahweh, God, is not begrudging in His forgiveness. How many of you have ever said, I forgive you like this? I forgive you, big dummy. If you're married, I know the answer is yes, you have. Yeah? But all of us, whether you're married or not, you have said it like that most likely because you're a human being. And we still, I know you think I'm, I'm just beating a dead horse here, but I know how a lot of us think, not all, but a lot of us think, God, Yahweh, does not forgive like you and I do. He is not begrudgingly forgiving us. He is joyfully do you go did you catch what it said at the end of verse 18 it says because he delights in steadfast love that has said that covenant faithfulness overwhelming he delights in it he's excited he's joyful to forgive you and me he's joyful to do it he delights in showing his overwhelming steadfast covenant love that's that word as i said has said yahweh delights forgiving you and i but what about the fine print? What about the fine print? The next part of the passage begins to be some of that tough part. Look at verse 7 again towards the end of it. But you will by no means clear the guilty. Alright, see, I knew it wasn't all about love. I knew it wasn't all about mercy. But it says you'll by no means clear the guilty. Yahweh is forgiving. But, he is just. Now, if you were here a, a few weeks ago, and if you weren't, you can go back and listen. You can find almost every message we have online, on audio or even every now and then a video. You can go and you can listen. But we talked about the fact that we might feel like justice is judgy. But when it comes to the end of the day, we all want justice in some format. So Yahweh is just. There is not universal salvation. And that's the idea that, well, everybody's just going to be saved. It doesn't matter what they do. We all know that if that were the case, that would actually be wicked on the part of God. To allow some of the atrocities that have taken place and not cause and allow for punishment for some of those things. Now, we might not think that we would deserve punishment, but we know we can all think of some people that deserve punishment. The crazy thing, and I'm not going to get off on that tangent, but the crazy thing is that God can and would even forgive them if they would turn and repent. It blows my mind. But we want justice. Yahweh doesn't simply let the guilty off the hook. That's the whole point we're trying to make here. You see, there are tons of people in this world who don't want to be forgiven. 
There are tons of people in this world who don't want to be forgiven. One, one group is this. Many people will deny that they're sinful. That's very common in our world and our society. It's always been the case. Romans chapter 1 talks all about that you know, in, in one way or another. But it's still the case more than ever before. We change our base of morality. We say, well, there is no absolute right and wrong, but then if, if somebody's breaking in my house in the middle of the night, all of a sudden there is some wrong things going on, right? You know? We say there's no absolutes, but there's an absolute. Sometimes your absolute's farther back than mine, but there's absolutes. And we've got to admit that. But there are many people who say that they are not sinful. They reject absolute truth. Because why? Because they don't want to feel guilty. They don't want to feel guilty for what they do. And if we refuse to admit our sinfulness, of course Yahweh can't forgive us. He's not going to force us to love Him. I mean... How many of you guys, you know, tried to do that? You know, it's like you saw this pretty girl and you did like the old Andy Griffith show, the hillbillies come down from the mountains. Come here, gal, and you throw over your shoulder. We're going to get hitched. There's things called restraining orders and tasers now, you know, that, that are good for that kind of thing. That's not the way it works. That's not love, is it? That's not love. And, and so God's not going to force himself, and if they don't want to be forgiven, he's not going to forgive them. And as, as John Mark Comer says, the author of this book that this series is based off of, I like how he says it, he says, and this is, he didn't write this uh, himself originally, this has been said many times over, forgiveness is a gift. You have to reach out, take it, and open the box. It doesn't mean you've earned it, you just have accepted it. Because we don't believe in universal salvation that everybody gets to go to heaven, even if they don't believe in Jesus. We don't believe that, so it's a gift that we have to reach out and take and open the box. And then there's another category of people. Other people who know they're sinful, but don't care. Seems like I went to high school with a lot of those people. Who said, yeah, I'm going to go, I'm going to get me a case of natural light, and I'm going to party in hell with my buddies. I, I, I used to hear a lot of people say that, and people still say it. They said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go to hell. Hell's for me. That's where all my buddies are going to be. And if we knew an ounce of what hell was going to be like, we would not want our worst enemy to go there. If nothing else, if nothing else, the separation from God for all eternity, once you know beyond a shadow of doubt who God really is, the distance, not being able to be in His presence. But there are people who know they're sinful and they don't care they're unapologetic they're unrepentant and no matter who they hurt they don't care because it's their life and they're going to live it how they want to live it and Yahweh doesn't ignore either of these groups because he's just he's just and he's right and that's a good thing because Yahweh's goal is a world with no evil sin or wickedness in it that's what God's goal is a world with no evil sin or wickedness revelation 21 verse 8 it says this it says but as for the cowardly the faithless the detestable as for murderers the sexually immoral sorcerers idolaters and all liars their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur which is the second death so people who won't repent of those sins there are going to be plenty of people who've committed those sins that are going to be in heaven but those that don't want to be forgiven there's a lake of fire it says reserved for them skip down to verse 22 it says and i saw no temple in the city now this is the heaven side it's it's foreshadowing 
For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. But nothing, verse 27, skip down. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. You see, God's goal is to have a dwelling place for you and I where there is no more hurt, there is no more pain, there is no more child abuse, there is no more rape, there is no more murder, there is no more racism, there is no any of this stuff, there is no little white lies even. There's just us and God for all eternity in the most beautiful, perfect place we could ever be in. No more tears. Because He will wipe away every tear from my eye. And that is the world that Yahweh is trying to build. And he, he got it ready by the death of His Son Jesus and the resurrection of His Son Jesus. And here's my question. Don't you want to live in a city like that? Don't you want to live in a city like that? The good news is, is that if you're a Christian, you get to. It's not a myth. It's not a fairy tale. That's your future. Even if you were a sexually immoral person, a murderer even, a faithless or detestable person at one point, you can be in this city of perfection for all eternity. And one day, Jesus will finally make it completely all right and put an end to all this wickedness. And until then, what about the last part of this passage in verse 7? It says, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Ah, see, fine print, side effects. All this good God stuff comes to light now, right? He's punching little kids. I thought I saw a few laugh, appreciate that. I got a weird sense of humor on that. You know, he's just like, you know, hey, little four-year-old. And that's the way people paint God sometimes. And they say, see, this, this verse does it. And, but here's where our earlier principle that we talked about, looking at the entire context of Scripture comes in handy. All right, everybody on board now? This is where we've got to look at the big picture of Scripture and use Bible to interpret Bible. You don't just take your verse and I take mine and we sword fight with them. You know, we look at the Bible, we compare them together. And at face value, I'll be honest, it looks really bad, especially in English. And later, Moses, though, says what it seems like is the opposite of this in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 16. He says, Fathers shall not be put to death because of their children, nor shall children be put to death because of their fathers. Each one shall be put to death for his or her own sin. So Moses, who's also you know, involved in the Exodus passage, says almost the exact opposite thing of what it seems like is being said in Exodus 34. Or look at this passage in Jeremiah that points to Exodus 34 again, one of the most quoted passages. Jeremiah 32, beginning in verse 18, says this. You show steadfast love to thousands, but you repay the guilt of fathers to their children after them. O great and mighty God, whose name is the Lord of hosts. Verse 19. Great in counsel and mighty indeed, whose eyes are open to all the ways of children of the children of man, rewarding each one according to his ways and according to the fruit of his deeds. So it sort of says both. It sort of says, yeah, I mean, you can be punished for the sins of the Father, but it also says he rewards each of us for what we do or what we don't do. 
And so what we need to understand is that it doesn't really seem like if you look at the whole picture of God's word that God is just going around punishing because your grandma was a liar. All right, don't fight me. Uh, your grandma was probably great. But what I'm saying is you don't get punished because, you know, you're not going to go to hell because of what your grandmother did. You're going to have to answer for your sin. It, it says in Hebrews 9.27, there's for each of us a time appointed to die and then to face the judgment. Each of us. And as you look at the bigger picture, you understand that there are layers to understand. The first layer is this. Parents' sins have consequences on their children's futures. Parents' sins do have consequences on their children's futures. 178% they do. If, you, if your parents were drug dealers, you know, you were living in a crack house, you as a child are going to suffer for that. They might come in and, and do a drug bust and take your parents to jail. You get tossed in the foster system. And we've all heard some of the horrible stories that have happened. You know, even if you get adopted by a couple who loves you, you're going to suffer because you're gonna, always going to wonder why your parents made those choices they did and they left you. Uh, you see what we're saying here? We, we know this to be true. Is that children do suffer for the sins of their parents and their horrible choices at times. And the second layer is this, sin can run in the family. We have a tendency to follow the example of our parents and our grandparents at times. Even though what, when we're like, you know, 13, 14 years old, what do we say? What does every one of us say when we're 13 or 14 years old? I'm never going to be like you, mom or dad. And then you go, being like mom and dad. <laughs> you know, and that's what, like I said a couple weeks ago, that's why your parents are so mad. That's why we get mad as parents, because we try to discipline the us out of our children. <laughs> You know, the things that we get the most frustrated by is almost every time it's, it's us in just a little tiny form <laughs> with a lot of power, you know. And that's the way it goes. But we know that we can pass things down from example. And, and even just the susceptibility to, to addiction can, can come into play. I mean, there's all kinds of things there. But then there's a third foundational layer to understand maybe what Yahweh is getting at. Since Yahweh is just, he's going to punish the sin in each generation until he gets it out. You see, I've spent a lot of my life thinking that when my life is difficult, it means that God's angry at me. Anybody else there? Anybody else ever thought that? I spent a lot of time thinking that when bad things happen, that God is angry at me. And the more I read scripture and the more I come around sensible people who talk sense into me, I realize that oftentimes the bad things that happen, either, either God is going to use them, and sometimes he will allow them, but he will use them to discipline me, because not because he hates me, because he loves me. And the more that I'm a parent, the more I realize that that's true. Nobody wants their kids to turn out to be little turds. Excuse me, I know I shouldn't say that from the stage, but it's true. You don't want your children to be that way. You don't want them to be horrible, incorrigible little punks. You don't want, I mean, I've told my kids before, I'm doing this because I don't want to go visit you in prison. You know, I, that's why we do it. And God loves us so much, so he disciplines us. He wants to get sin out of our life. And so if, you know, that's why if the oven's on, we tell our kids not to touch it, and they touch it, oh, there you go, dummy, it's hot, it burned you. 
And if they don't learn, it's going to burn them again. It's going to burn them again. And some of us go through our lives sinning and sinning and sinning and sinning and getting burned. Why am I getting burned? And God's like, wake up. I want you to get out of this habit. I want you to get out of this sin. I want you to be free. It's still, it's scary, but it's good news. Because God's ultimate goal is a world free from sin and evil. Look at verse 7, the very last part. To the third and the fourth generation. It's interesting in the Hebrew here that generation, that word, isn't actually in the Hebrew. The phrase there is, it, it's a, and I'm not a Hebrew scholar, I'm not trying to do that. I've tried to do some research and find and, and double check on things. But the word generation is not there. If you go into a concordance or any linear Bible, you'll see it's not there in the Hebrew. It was added so our brains could sort of wrap our minds around what's probably being communicated here. And, and so generation isn't there, but it's added to help us understand. And scholars indicate that this passage sort of had a little bit of a, a poem rhyme or rhythm to it in the way it was read in the Hebrew and understand the Hebrew. And so it can be painting a word picture like this. Keeping steadfast love for thousands and visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth. So it doesn't say generations and generations. And so I believe, and I think it's a fair assessment, what is trying to be communicated here is he's saying, look, I'm going to bless and I'm going to keep my steadfast, faithful love and covenant love with thousands upon thousands, but there will be some that I have to punish, but it's to the third and the fourth. He's saying, think about it this way. Think about an old scale, a balanced scale with weights on either side. If you think about it that way, God's mercy is far heavier than His judgment. Yes, there's judgment, but His mercy outweighs His judgment. You and I need to understand that. James 2 verse 13 says this, For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. All right, y'all got to listen quicker, okay? Um, the mercy versus justice thing is huge in the Bible. It's huge in the Bible. It's all through the Bible. Numbers 14 is a, is a great example. Um, let me explain. Uh, no, there's too much. Let me sum up. Some of y'all have seen The Princess Bride. All right. Here's the thing. Israel is again rebelling in the, as they're wandering through the, the desert, through the wilderness, after they've left Egypt. They've gotten close to the promised land, but they're not crossing over yet because their enemies are huge and powerful. They sent the spies. And they're downright sticking their heels down and saying, we're not going over there because they're going to destroy us. It would have been better if we'd just been left in Egypt. Let's go back to Egypt. And they even say that. They say, we're going to stone Moses and Aaron, our leaders, and we're going to appoint leaders who will lead us back to Egypt. Because here's an important thing that you and I need to recognize. We would often rather have the slavery we know than the freedom we don't know. That's important. We'd often rather have the slavery we do know than the freedom we don't know. And so they want to go back to Egypt. And it says in Numbers 14, verse 4, And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. And so when Moses and Aaron try to talk sense to them, them, they're going to stone them, they're going to kill them. And here's why. They don't really believe Exodus 34. They don't believe the passage that God is faithful and true and overwhelmingly loving and faithful and kind and He's going to reward them and bless them. They don't trust God. And ultimately, that's where all sin comes from, is not trusting God. You don't want to wait to, you know, till you're married to, to sleep with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. Why? Because we don't trust God. We say, well, I, your plan sounds good, but I like this plan better. 
You know, and we come up with all these reasons. So Yahweh is ready to destroy these people, these Israelites. He's ready to start over with Moses. He says, I'm just going to start over just like we did with the flood and with Noah and his family. And so Moses pleads with God and he quotes Exodus 34 back to him. Does that sound familiar? Remember we did that a few weeks ago? We talked about Moses doing that. And yes, it's another time when he does that. Where Moses says, don't destroy him. Remember who you are and what you said you are. We don't want the nations to scorn you and not believe you. So don't destroy him. And God relents. It doesn't take a lot of convincing. He wanted Moses to intercede for his people. It doesn't take long. And because it's his nature to forgive, he forgives. But remember what we've said about God when he repeats himself. You need to listen, right? So here he is repeating himself. And there's an important addendum this time. He doesn't destroy them at all completely right here. But there's a big, big but added, so to speak, for the generation of complainers that left Egypt. Look at verse 32 in Numbers 14. It says, but as for you, your dead bodies shall fall in the wilderness, this older generation that left Egypt. And your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness for 40 years and shall suffer for your faithlessness until the last of your dead bodies lies in the wilderness. According to the number of days in which you spied out the land, 40 days, a year for each day, you shall bear your iniquity 40 years and you shall know my displeasure. What he's saying is these faithless people who had seen him free them through the plagues had seen them pass through on dry ground through the Red Sea, had seen the water come from the rock, had seen the manna fall from heaven, had seen the quails come and they could just pick them up and have meat, had seen all of these things, had provided protection from enemies over and over and over again. They still said, nope, still don't believe God. He did all that, but he can't do this. And as easy as it would be to point fingers at them, what did your mama say about pointing fingers? There's three more pointing back at you and me. We say the same thing over and over and over and over again. Yeah, you did it before, but I don't think you can really do it this time. And so we've got to fix problems ourselves. And so what we have to do is understand this truth. This older generation was not the kind of people that should enter the promised land because they were going to ruin it just like they had ruined everything else. They simply didn't trust God enough. And for that, their children suffered. Their children suffered. They had to wander in the desert as a whole for 40 years because of their parents' sin. And as Mr. Comer reminds us, I love this phrase, so I just repeated it word for word. Yahweh is forgiving. Sin is not. He wanted to understand their sin had a price and it had consequences. And so you and I need to take sin more seriously. Because it will destroy us and it will destroy our children. And it can, if we don't help it, destroy our children's children. We don't want to miss the blessings that God has for us. And so we've got to get it out of our system. So back to this whole mercy versus justice. Remember what John the Immerser said in John's Gospel? The Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world? Just before that, we pointed out a few weeks ago, the point back in John chapter 1 and Exodus 34 about how God became flesh and dwelt among us. Remember that? You see, for a thousand years, the Israelites had it pounded in their brains. When we sin, an animal dies. For a thousand years. You sin, you go off for animal. The animal's throat is cut, blood pours out, and the sacrifice is offered on your behalf. The lamb pays the price. You keep on living in God's blessing. 
it, until it wasn't just a lamb, it was Jesus. It was Yahweh. So for a thousand years, it was a lamb, 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 animals, pigeons, all these bulls, all these sort of things. It was all these things, but until it wasn't, it was Jesus. And that was his whole point. He was saying like, there has to be a price paid for your sin. It's the death of someone who's innocent. And ultimately, he said, it's not just the, the lambs that do it. It's me. I'm coming down on your behalf. I'm walking through the sacrifice. I'm keeping your side of the promise because you couldn't and because you wouldn't. And here Paul brings it further home in Romans. Romans chapter 3, verse 24. Wake up if I've lost you. I want you to get this. This is important. We're almost done. It says, and forgive me, it's in the middle of a sentence, but we don't have all day. <laughs> it says, and are justified by his grace as a gift through his redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 25. Whom God put forward as a propitiation, an offering of atonement, of sacrifice of atonement, by his blood to be received by faith, this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. You see, Jesus paid the price for you and I that we could not pay. He paid the price for you and I that we could not pay. He paid the price for mercy. Justice was satisfied through Jesus' death on the cross. But I have to ask you a question. Have you been united with that mercy by faith? Because Paul goes on just a couple of chapters later in Romans chapter 6 verse 3 and says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we could no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. The Bible is incredibly clear how you get united with the sacrifice of Christ by faith. He says when you're baptized, you're buried and you're joined with his death. And when you're raised up, you're joined with his life and his resurrection. It is what happens to us by his grace, by his mercy. We don't earn it, we don't deserve it, but he freely gives it. Do you accept the gift? As we began this a.m., this morning, seemed like a long time ago probably to you. <laughs> we can't piece together our own version of God. We have to trust Him. Enough to do what He says, even when we may think differently. Even when we've been told something different by someone we trust. And we'll close with this. You've got a few questions to answer. I've got a few questions to answer. Do you know Yahweh? Do you know Yahweh? Or is it another little G-God? We have to be sure, don't we? Yahweh will deal with sin in our lives one way or another. So the question is, do we face justice alone? Or do we experience mercy through Jesus? 
Hebrews chapter 10 verse 31 says, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. We don't want to face judgment alone. And we don't have to. Right now, as a Christian, if you're a Christian today, you may be caught in sin. And the call is to repent. It's not fun, it's not pretty, but it's worth it. It's not, it's not easy, but you repent. You just say, I don't want this anymore, and you run to Jesus. See, God loves you too much to let you go. He loves you too much to let you stay in your sin. And that's why you keep banging your head and burning your hand. Because he wants you to wake up and he wants you to come back home. He wants you to turn back around. The pain that you're feeling may hurt, but it's much worse to face judgment alone. Yahweh is allowing your pain because he disciplines those that he loves. Today, if you're outside of Christ, or you don't know, if you're not sure, let's talk. Let's look at what God's Word says, the entire Bible, as much as we can. Get the overview, get the idea, and we'll understand. Maybe baptism is your next move. Maybe you believe in Jesus, but are you united? Are you united with Him? Are you united with Him in His death and His resurrection? If not, you'll still be enslaved to sin. Today is the day you can be free. Yahweh extends His faithfulness, His covenant love thousands upon thousands upon thousands won't you be one of them thank you for listening to movement christian church's sermon podcast want to learn more about us you can do that by visiting our website at movementchristianchurch.com or on our app available on ios and android devices under movement and seed